We will control the horizontal. We will control the vertical. Just one more thing. Hey now. Oh boy. Holy mechanical armies. Mom always liked you best. Oh, she did. <laughs> you wanted to be one word. But it's the other word. One of these days. Are we having fun yet? It's gonna be legend. Wait for it. Now, you might very well think that, but of course I couldn't possibly comment. Bertie Helens agreed. Oh, come on! Missed it by that much. Good evening. Hello, and welcome to the Televerse, Sound on Sight's TV podcast. This is Kate Kulsik, and I'm joined as ever by Simon Howell. Simon, how's it going? I've been worse. And I'm not in New York, so that's good. Yeah, def- that helps. But I, I, heard, I did hear Toronto got some of... Uh, uh, Sandy's brunt as well. Yeah, I'm gonna be honest. I slept through most of that, so I don't so know. So clearly, I mean, I'm, it, it was it could have been worse. And I'm I'm on I'm in a semi basement apartment, so if there was flooding or anything, I would know about it. Oh well, that's good to know. And hopefully, everybody out on the East Coast is uh, well. I imagine they're not listening to this yet. Hopefully, you guys are getting your power back soon, and everybody's safe and uh, and 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 healthy. And our our, our thoughts are with everybody uh, dealing with with Hurricane Sandy. But let's 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 lift the spirits and uh, distract the mind with some some TV talk here this week. We're going to talk at the end of the show with. Uh, Robert K. Elder, who came on to the DVD shelf to talk Millennium with us uh, just in time for Halloween. There's a little uh, ho- spooky kind of element to that that should that should work well. And then we heard from you guys this week. Uh, we got a comment from Keith, who uh, is just about ready to break up with Ben and Kate. But I think that's like the second week in a row he said that. So maybe this week he will. I don't know. Curious minds want to know, Keith. Let us know if you watch this week. And he loves Cheers, and we also talked some Supernatural. We got her from Beth, who has the, to the Cheers theme song stuck in her head. I support the Cheers song stuck in people's head. I, yes, yes. Then I uh, talked with Bob about Always Sunny Halloween, which uh, we'll talk about later in the show. Talked with Dan about the theme to Enterprise. He was not aware that there was a secondary, like, even worse version of that theme. Um, and then uh, Ken and Shannon and I talked some Battlestar in 33, and then I talked Oregon Trail with Amanda, because I was inspired by, I watched some person of interest from earlier in the season, and one of the characters was playing Oregon Trail, so clearly I had to start playing Oregon Trail too, because that game's amazing. We also got a new rating in iTunes, so thank you to whoever gave us a rating. Uh, we do not know who you are, but uh, we appreciate it very much. Also, we heard from Jammy again, who uh, updated his or her review, or maybe deleted and then put a new one. Um, who and they said that they're liking the new uh, Beauty and the Beast and love Elementary, and I, I think that did just get picked up for a season, a full season, right? I assume so. It's it's doing well. Yeah, and uh, and and they haven't gotten into Nashville yet, but ditched Emily Owens halfway through. So clearly, you are a person of impeccable taste if you did not stick around for the rest of that terrible pilot. Um, but Jeremy, you can always, you know, leave us a comment at the site. You don't have to update your iTunes review every time that you want to talk to us. We would love to hear from you. Um, at Sound on Site, we have you know, just a couple more days here of Halloween. The, I saw that Ricky put up his list of what a hundred best Halloween or spooky. He did his top hundred fifty horror films ever. He did a slasher list. He did a giallo list. He's all over the place with these damn lists. 
yeah, so lots of uh, lots of horror talk at Sound of Sight. If if you're into that or looking for something fitting for the maybe to watch tomorrow while you wait for kids to ring on your door, we uh we also did a Halloween episode of uh, Sound on Sight. We did a uh, Giallo, well, or sort of Giallo trilogy. So, don't torture a duckling from 1972. I believe. This is the strangest title I've heard in a long time. It, I, I think it's an amazing title. Yeah, um, I, I concur with the assessment. I don't think anyone should tor- torture ducklings. That's not very for, nice. For the record, there are no ducklings in the film, although there is a little bit of torture. Um, then uh, 1980s, Dress to Kill, and then all the way up to, I think, 2006's Amare. So sort of we debate what a giallo is and whether any of these movies qualify and et cetera, et cetera. It's a good show. I really enjoyed it. And also this four hosts talking about three movies. It was pretty epic. <laughs> Good stuff. We're going to take a little different of a uh, approach this week with so many different shows on. We're going to try to to group some of them together so that we are less likely of going long. We've been going a little too long the last couple of weeks and so we're we're going to try that. So we're going to start out by talking all about just Tuesday comedies. The ones that we actually watched this week are Ben and Kate, New Girl, Happy Endings, which premiered and Don't Trust the Bee in Apartment 23, which also premiered. Um so that's of these four shows, which ones are working the best for you right now? Yeah, shockingly, I really, really liked the second season premiere of uh, Don't Trust the... Come on. It's Don't Trust the Bitch, okay? It's Don't Trust the Bitch, Apartment 23. And, uh, yeah, I, I really... I don't. I have very few memories, fond or otherwise, of the couple episodes I saw of the first season. But I feel like there are so many Hangout comedies right now that any network comedy that's doing something a little bit different has to earn a mark of distinction and apartment 23's it it's not quite I mean, it's somewhere between like a, a a meta out there we do what the hell we want sitcom like community and a conventional sitcom at this point where you do have conventional sitcom beats but you also have james vanderbeek playing himself and lots of trank gunning so which is not stuff you would normally get um i love the cameos in in, the, in that one particularly uh, busy phillips and and the saga of her horse and um, a great use of James Vanderbeek in particular. I'm still I'm still not totally sold on the Kristen Ritter character, to be honest. But you know, it's it's working on me. It's also weird to see Dreamer Walker in this context now that I've seen Compliance. But uh, yeah, I I was surprisingly endeared by this episode. I mean, I thought this uh, premiere was okay. I didn't think it was bad or anything. There's definitely some fun in it. I agree that the the drink. Darts are, are, were pretty entertaining, and I always love when Busy Phillips pops up on my TV, but I, I wasn't bowled over by this at all. Maybe it was, you know, I think you had a little more um, discovery in this maybe than I did because I felt like it was exactly the same as the episodes I watched last season, which I mildly enjoyed, but I'm still kind of waiting for it to break through. I agree Vanderbeek is the, the most entertaining thing about the show right now. Um, I like Kristen Ritter more than you do in this, but I've, I, my big problem is with the Dream of Walker character just because they don't, I, I don't really understand what her character is supposed to be right now, and I, I really am not connecting with that character. Um, whereas I, I liked uh, New Girl a lot more, I thought it was nice to get a CC-centric episode, uh, at least as much as they, they do that. And uh, and I liked uh, Ben and Kate, too. So I would put New Girl and Ben and Kate above both Happy Endings and Don't Trust the Bee. For Happy Endings, I was a little disappointed that uh, just the, um, there was, it just seemed a little too mean-spirited, especially the stuff with Max and uh, and Penny. 
Um, so that, you know, and I, at the end, I like that they, you know, give us a brief flashback that uh, Penny did the exact same thing to him, but still, it just didn't really seem to fit with the characters. And I, I really don't care about Dave. So I've, pairing Dave and Alex just makes me feel like they're dragging down Alex, who, you know, was kind of the MVP last year. Uh, yeah, I, I agree that the the romance aspect of Happy Endings doesn't work for me. I did find most of the rest of the episode actually funny. Um, obviously, the uh, the Wayans plotline was the funniest. I think, mm-hmm. if only because, I mean, although frankly, his puppet seemed like a little bit too close to uh, a, a callback to Arrested Development, but maybe that's just me. <laughs> and now I'm just going to be thinking that every time that puppet comes back on on uh, on happy endings which isn't a bad thing but uh yeah well yeah. so i think you know i think in general we're going to talk about the thursday comedies later i think the tuesday comedies are have been a little disappointing comparatively would you agree yeah i agree i mean there's nothing bad i mean ben and kate continues to be endearing and not hilarious which is still not the worst combination but there i feel like there's still something that needs to click with that show and i can't quite figure out what it is rob cordry uh, well, Rob Corder showing up was good, and he and Lucy Punch were were a fun combo. Mm. Um, I, I, I guess he just gets to be on everything now, which is fine. <laughs> yeah. Um, as well as running his own show. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I, I, the I don't know that maybe it's that the the sort of comic sidekicks aren't really connecting to Ben and Kate actually as characters in a meaningful way. Mm-hmm. So I mean, it's not like they're a, they're a group really. It's just sort of a bunch of duos running around uh, as opposed to happy endings, which I think kind of manages both. Yeah. Uh, so maybe that's something they need to work on. Yeah. We'll see where they, uh, where they go. I think it seems like Fox is giving them some, some leeway. So it'll be interesting to see how that show develops over the course of the year, but let's move on to parented. I don't have that much to say about this one. We get more Matt Loria, which I enjoyed. Of course we have the actual procedure for, for Christina. And of course, Max gets elected and I, I loved his speech. Um, but in general, it just it, it feels like a very consistent show, and uh, I'm still enjoying it. Yeah, I, I didn't. I mean, the speech was fine. I mostly enjoyed Monica Potter's drugged out reaction to him winning. Just like what? Because <laughs> <laughs> they were just so b- both so braced for horror uh-huh. and w- weren't even really planning for success and didn't know what to do with that. So I, I thought that was nicely played. Uh, the music continues to really, really bother me, but apparently just me. Um, <laughs> The uh, I really didn't care for the last beat of the episode where they decide to not tell their basically adult daughter that their uh, that that the cancer is not going away. So that sucked. I mean, whether or not it was realistic, it wasn't a plot point I wanted to see on my TV. Fair enough. Yeah, I do think it is. I think it fits with the characters, but it really it angered me. I was angry for the daughter. And I'm sure we'll see that from her when she eventually finds out. Like, she's going to have to. Uh, oh God, I hope she finds out next week. I don't want them to drag that out at all. Yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens uh, with that. But let, let's move on, though, to 30 for 30 and Benji. This was this was the one that I think people were most optimistic about, just by the fact that this was separately released theatrically. What did you think of this? And you know, where do you rank it with the other ones this season? And is this the one that finally kind of breaks through to the kind of the level of quality that we got last season um i don't think so it i i was surprised to i mean i knew in advance that it got a theatrical release of some kind at least a limited one and it didn't feel in style editing execution a whole lot more cinematic than the other episodes we've gotten which was a little disappointing um 
it, it does have something I've never seen in a documentary before where sometimes you'll have celebrity cameos and sometimes you'll have neighbor cameos, but rarely are the celebrities and the neighbors the same people. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Common and R. Kelly show up just because they were around, um, which was a little weird, but all right. Um, it felt, I mean, it was definitely, it's, it's, what I did find interesting is the way people, when, when a tragedy like this occurs, there's this instinctual reaction on all involved to lend it a straightforward narrative. And I, I did like the fact that we, what we get in the end is something less straightforward and less black and white. Um, uh, in terms of, you know, when the, when the killer reappears, uh, rehabilitated, uh, so to speak, and says, you know, it looked, it just didn't go down that way. Uh, and, uh, and it's sort of the job of documentarians, if they have a, a job this, this straightforward to excavate truth that isn't necessarily readily apparent. And I, I thought the, the, actually the most interesting moment of the documentary isn't even in the documentary. It's in one of these sort of interstitial commercial bits with the directors where they say, this, you know, the, this guy was just like, no one's ever asked me what happened. No one ever has, has had any interest in wanting to know the truth. And that to me was interesting, but it, it, it definitely, it felt a little bit, um, felt a little bit too straightforward, a little bit too thin, especially for 80 minutes. Yeah. I also felt like it was too long. And I was also surprised to that this was, you know, I was expecting, like you said, a more cinematic um, film for, based on the fact that it had been released. I, there were definitely points where, you know, we got to like the the hour mark, you know, with the commercial. So I guess that'd be around what, the 50 minute mark or something like that uh, of the uh, of the of the documentary. And I was like, how are they going to get another half hour out of this? I mean, I don't I was confused as to, you know, I was like, I feel like I know everything that I need to know here. And it's been a little repetitious, but, um, but in general, I did enjoy it. I think I enjoyed it more than some of the other ones. I don't know that it's my favorite of the season. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I mean, I, I, on the spectrum, this is probably in my upper half of of the 30 for thirties. How about you? Uh, I think it's, it could be the best one of this block. It's definitely not up to the best of season one. Yeah. Like not even close. Yeah. Uh, hopefully the uh hopefully we'll get there's at least one more coming hopefully it'll be be an even more of an improvement uh but we'll see what happens with 30 um 30 for 30 moving forward next we have supernatural bitten this is uh the found footage episode that they did this has been a divisive episode it's divisive over at sound on site even uh uh depayan who does our reviews loved this episode and i thought it was terrible really not a fan um when you get to the end and and there, a character speaks to the camera and says the reason that i finished this and edited together this character's film even though everybody died and i killed them and i'm standing here waiting you know trying to get out of town before the winchesters catch up with me and kill me i spent you know maybe it's because i know how long it takes to edit stuff to edit a film like that would take like you're it'd take a day at least, if you're going to edit it poorly, you're going to sp- splice together all this footage. It just was so utterly ridiculous. I, I had a lot of problems with this. So hopefully we won't get another one like this. Every now and again, they like to uh, kind of, you know, break the, the tradition, uh, the traditional approach and and focus on, on, on characters that are more uh, periphery to the, what the Winchesters are up to. Um, but this is definitely 
amongst the least successful of those that the show has done. So not a fan of Supernatural this week. Let's talk about <laughs> let's talk about Nashville. Someday you'll call my name. Uh, you know, we, we've talked a little bit about auto tuning on this show, and I it was a problem the previous week with uh, the closing number and especially on Connie Britton. But it was it's I think much worse this week with the kids mm. when they're like. They're just churning out like perfect harmonies, and they're really young. And I mean, that's could that's not totally false, but the just it's way too polished. Uh, it's supposed to be this off the cuff like talent I didn't show have performance. A with it. I didn't hear really? the auto tuning. I don't know if I was just like in a forgiving state of mind, but I didn't notice it. Yeah, I don't know. Just the the the, the body language and the actual singing didn't seem to match up. Like the way the. the 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 younger one especially was so shy and so kid like mm. and but still there was this perfectly polished performance that were like harmonizing coming out it was just like <laughs> that's not working it may, maybe it was just a bad sync issue yeah um, as opposed to an auto tuning issue but uh, didn't it, it had a similar sort of uncanny valley this isn't quite working <laughs> for me uh, singing moment so it's it's too bad that this keeps happening on the show um, I did like the that we're humanizing Powers Booth's character a bit I was really worried they were going to keep him as a Cyt Oliver, Velociraptor <laughs> in the background. Uh, yeah, I mean, I like Cyt Oliver, but yeah, I basically. Um, so, but you know, they didn't go too far. They didn't make him. Uh, they made him a little bit pitiable, but not uh, pathetic or yeah. or ridiculously sad or anything. So that was good. Um, other than that, it was a pretty standard, solid episode. Uh, nothing too. I didn't find anything as affecting as sort of the the closing number from the previous week, but it was. It was decent. Yeah, and I think they're doing a good job with Juliet. Uh, and that's a character that maybe wouldn't work as well. And I also think that Hayden Penetier is doing a good job with that. I mean, she was so fun in the pilot as just the straight-up bitch. But I think she's handling the, the more dramatic elements well. What, what do you think? Yeah, she's been surprisingly good for an actress I never thought of at all. Um, she And, you know, she's going to have to be good because she's, you know, she's sharing the spotlight with Connie Britton, who's amazing. And yeah, the 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 mother plotline. It's been a little one note so far. I'm hoping that they uh, I, again. I, I think the mother is now the character who needs humanizing because she's such a one dimensional junkie so far mm -hmm. that it's it's straining credibility for me a little bit. So we'll see. I hope I'm I'm hoping they manage to do something with that other than you're a junkie and you disgust me. Please get out of my way. Oh, now you're in my house. Oh God, this is painful, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Like let's 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 move on. Let's diversify that a bit. Yeah, fingers crossed. I think so far they've done a, a, a decent job with, uh, I mean, there's so much, there, there are stories we've seen before, but I, I feel like they're doing a pretty good job with them. So hopefully they'll bring us something new. Anything uh, to say about the uh, the young, the once couple? I, I, I really like Scarlett. I think the, the character is just adorable. And um, she's probably, out of the sort of younger cast, or like that generation of the cast, uh, she's easily my favorite character. Um, maybe even more so than Juliet, actually. Well, and I like that they actually let her boyfriend be supportive and a good guy this week. Um, and so yes. th that that was, yeah. I think, a significant decision. It was good that they did that because otherwise, uh, it was just going to get too too. I was just going to get too frustrated with that storyline too quickly. They do uh, they do throw in that bit of him being like opportunistic at the at the end of the episode, which was a little disappointing. Yeah, but at least you know he's at least he's there. I don't, I think it that went better this week than I was expecting, so it was a pleasant surprise. Uh, and uh, we'll see we'll see what happens with uh, Deacon and Teddy. But um, 
I just, I really, I hope they surprise me with Teddy's stuff, with the audit. Uh, so, we'll, I don't know, we'll see what happens. Let's let's move on, though. Let's talk Thursday comedies, because there's a lot to talk about. We have 30 Rock, yes. Parks and Rec, Always Sunny, The League, Children's Hospital, NTSF, SDSUV. Where, where do you want to start? <laughs> well, I think we should start with Parks, because that's the one everyone was talking about. Um, I, I kind of feel like about this episode like I felt about Homeland last week, where the like an amazing last minute or so sort of overshadowed the rest of the episode, which was fine. It was solid, lots of nice little moments, but um, it was did nothing particularly special. Honestly, it was a good, solid episode of Parks with a really good ending. And I'm not sure. I, I mean, other people found also. I think other people found that ending a lot more affecting than I did. I mean, it was cute. Was, I'm glad you know it's a it's it's a natural progression and it's nice to see uh, Ben stepping up. But you know it was it was cute, but not I, there. I wasn't bawling unlike another time this week. We'll get there. <laughs> the uh, yeah, I mean I liked it. I thought it was good. I, I really enjoy Lucy Lawless as uh, Diane. I think her pairing with with Ron Swanson has a lot of potential, and I really liked it. I also really am glad to have April back with Andy in town. I think I think those two just sort of worked so well off of each other comedically that having them yeah. separated was uh, is, as fun as Andy is with pretty much anybody. I think April wasn't working nearly as well um, with, with uh, Ben as she does here with, with Andy. And I also, I liked uh, the stuff with, with Anne. I know that uh, Justin, who does our write-ups about Thursday comedies for the site, d- doesn't buy this whole Anne takes on the personality of the person she's dating thing. But I think that's something we've, that feels very true to the character and very true to the history of the show for me. Absolutely, yeah. So I actually, I like that they're exploring that and hopefully we'll, uh, we'll, we'll see her come out the other end of that with something a little more interesting. How about a quickly 30 Rock, uh, Unwind Relax? We got uh, a little fun political humor with, with Jack and and Liz. And then we got the, the whole uh, catching crabs in paradise thing with Jenna. Right. For some reason, I don't know what it is about 30 Rock, but even when it's good... I can't retain a single thing about it. It's it's maybe it's just because it's so it, it it's so content to just throw around lots of pop culture gags and then end usually. Um even this week which was decent uh, still felt like I it's going to be strange trying to watch this episode in a couple of years mm-hmm. because it seems so dependent on the particulars of the election and um and who's even going to remember Mitt Romney in 2 years? Well, uh, we'll see what happens, but... Uh... Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I may regret saying that, but I don't think I will. <laughs> well, well, yeah. well, I mean, you're saying that even a, a good 30 Rock isn't as, as memorable. It's really... Who can you... You can't really blame them when they're up against the McPoyles for Maureen Ponderosa's right, wedding yeah. massacre, which was amazing. Yeah. Um, Always Sunny redeemed itself a little bit this week with... I still didn't think this was as good as the Halloween episode from two seasons ago. Um with uh, Dee's baby and the sort of Rashomon party setup, mm-hmm. but uh, this was quite good. I mean, you had a room full of McPoyles, which was uh, just genius, um, and uh, lots of lots of great gags. I love the the the. the I mean, actually, it was very similar to the structure of the previous Halloween episode, with everyone sort of recalling mm-hmm. uh, the events of a single night and sort of correcting each other and. I mean, they had a punch bowl of milk. Yes, they had a punch bowl of spiked milk, which was great. I was a little bit disappointed at because um, the costumes were so great in the previous Halloween special. I was hoping for some some good costume action, which we didn't really get, which is unfortunate. Um, but yeah, lots. Of, I I loved all the zombie sight gags 
and um, just the general horrible grossness of it all, which is something that Sunny really excels at that no one else can really get. Yeah, well, and it just, I mean, having a gathering of McPoyles for any reason is such a fabulous idea to, for how you're going to base your Halloween episode. Um, and I think, because there's also, you know, there's the danger there that overexposure is going to cause diminishing returns, but they really handled that well, the, the lady creeping crab-like. Oh my god. <laughs> Hilarious. Uh, I was all about this episode. Um, unlike uh, The League, I know you weren't really a fan of this week. I, I caught up with last week's episode and this week's episode. So, And this is your first time watching The League at all, as far mm-hmm. as I know. Right. Uh, yeah, the previous two episodes I thought were really strong. Uh, this one was not so great, I didn't think. I was excited because of uh, the presence of Timothy Oliphant, uh, who isn't on our TVs enough, despite the fact that he's on it for a quarter of the year. Um... You know, the the whole white sushi chef thing was kind of amusing, but pretty one note, especially for a whole episode. Um, and I, I mean, he was he was fine with it, but I kind of felt like they could have made more creative use of him. Uh, I even actually preferred the use of him on The Office, frankly. As I've said before, the league either really clicks or really doesn't based on its it lives or dies on its semi improvised nature. And just the the hooks of the episode with the with the sushi chef. And the paintball game, like, they were all right, but also the, the paintball game was, was marred by the presence of Rafi, who was played by uh, Jason Mansukis. I want to say that's his name. Um, and he's, yeah, easily my least favorite character, like, by far. And I don't understand what's supposed to be funny about him at all, so. Yeah, I ended up pleased that I checked out the league, and I'll keep, I'll keep uh, checking up with it, because I enjoyed, the, I enjoyed both episodes that I thought last week was, was better, but I didn't have as much of a problem with this one as you did, maybe because I was just so entertained by Timothy Oliphant as the ridiculously pretentious uh, sushi chef uh, from Kansas, uh, but, uh, but yeah, no, I, I, thought it was, I thought it was fine, not great, but uh, and certainly after the, that episode of Always Sunny, it paled in comparison, but uh, yeah, I'm glad I checked it out, and thank you for getting me to do so. Anything yeah. about uh, Children's this week or NTSF? Uh, Children's also had a had a Halloween episode. Michael Sarah finally made an appearance, which was nice. I liked, uh, especially with his creepy, weird voice at the end. That was strange. Um, the uh, any any Henry Winkler's centric episode is always going to be good because he's fantastic. And I'm just I'm just so glad he's managed to have this awesome second career, starting with I guess Arrested Development. And uh, I, I liked I liked Rob Corddry's attempt to find the 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 hidden chamber. The molestation gag was, yeah, I'm not so great on molestation gags to be honest, which is why Sergeant Hatred is also my least favorite character on Venture Brothers. But uh, it was all right. So yeah, I thought it was hit or miss, but enough hit to qualify on the win column. Yeah, I think I like this one more than you did. Um, Henry Winkler, like we said, he's always great. Anytime they give him more to do, it's always a good episode. And I enjoyed John Hamm popping up, uh, however oh, briefly. yes, of course. That was a lot yeah. of fun. And I also liked NTSF this week. Yes, NTSF does revolution, because why not? Um, yeah, I, I like that there were two subsets of underground people uh, who don't seem to really acknowledge each other's presence. We let Rebecca Romaine get a little more to do. I enjoyed that. And I, I'm just enjoying Kate Mulgrew on this show. It's nice to, to see her doing something so different, and especially after watching her last week on Cheers uh, and to see her back here doing comedy. For somebody who's best known probably for Star Trek with most, most people, it's been a lot of fun to watch her on this show. Um, let's let's move on, though, to next we have The Vampire Diaries and The Rager. Yeah, uh, Klaus is useless now. Um, I, I haven't seen all of the of, of of last season, 
but I can already tell he's overstaying his welcome. And, and and I kind of feel that with Rebecca as well, though I think you like her more than I do. Yeah, I do. Uh, but yeah, I, especially this week, I think we're just supposed to feel bad for her uh, because she's so alone. But I don't feel bad for her because the reason she's alone is it's all her own doing. And she's not like, unlike with Damon, who is alone because I guess in a similar way, but he's funny. Rebecca isn't funny. <laughs> he doesn't, she doesn't have some element to her character that I enjoy enough to, to look past um, you know, her posturing and her destroying her friendships. Uh, so, I, yeah, I agree absolutely with Klaus. I'm I'm over Klaus. I'm ready for Klaus to be gone. Though I do like this. I'm intrigued by this, the five thing. I, I wish we'd gotten more on that, to be honest, other than just, you're one of the five end of episode. <laughs> like, really? Come on. We've spent like two, two or three episodes with this character now, and we still know basically nothing about him except that he has ghost ink. <laughs> and uh, he reminds me a little bit of... Dr. Morpheus's sidekick on the Venture Brothers. I don't know why I keep bringing up Venture Brothers, but we'll get there. I don't know. He, 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 he reminds me of, of the, uh, the Blackula Hunter. Anyway. Um, yeah, I, I wish they were dragging their heels a little bit less on that one. This is not something you can accuse Vampire Diaries of very often. What are you thinking of Elena's transition? Um, I think they're doing a pretty good job with it. Ale- um, Nina Dobrev seems to be having a lot of fun with it. Uh, clearly, I mean, she, I mean, I guess with Catherine, she got an opportunity to be, to, to be bitchy, but she doesn't get m- many opportunities to do a lot of a lot of the physical acting that everyone else gets to do. So she seems to be sort of diving into that, which is good. Uh, the thing with her and Rebecca was just annoying to me, but that's also because I'm annoyed with that character. So yeah, that doesn't help. I, your, your mileage may vary. The uh, I, I agree they're doing a good job with Elena. Of course, I have my review up at Sundance site if you want to get my fuller thoughts on the episode. Um, and uh, the last thing I'll mention is that I, I'm loving Damon right now. The uh, the stuff with yes. in the trailer was fantastic, and him calling in Meredith because he has his pride. <laughs> he doesn't want to call in his brother. It was great. Uh, so, yeah, and yeah. I, I loved I loved him in the hospital with Jeremy too, calling him out on badasses. Don't call themselves badasses. <laughs> exactly. That was great. That was actually one of the best lines of the week. Yeah. Um. Let's let's talk next about uh, Last Resort Skeleton Crew. People seemed pretty stoked about this one ahead of time. Did it live up to the hype? I think it pretty much did. Uh, it, you know, it's I think it was probably the best episode since the pilot. The the presence of Jake Harns just devouring sandy scenery was great especially having him have a proper showdown with Brower. Um, I'm guessing that's not going to get to happen more than once, so I guess we should savor it. Mm-hmm. Um, the I, I I really like that they finally married the DC plot lines. Cause, yeah. I mean, I guess it was obvious, but I'm glad that it finally happened, and in a fairly casual way. I loved the delivery from Jesse Schramm of, want some coffee? <laughs> that was great. Yeah. And I, I look yes. forward to those two teamed up. And I also loved that they had... Jesse Schramm's character, whose name I still don't remember, figure out so quickly that um, her friend was clearly trying to, you know, create problems for her. So I, I love, I love yeah. that she saw through that so quickly. I was dreading that storyline. Yeah, I really didn't. I, I'm, I'm really sad that they settled her with that speech about Scott Speedman's character and his love for the country or whatever. That was really. terrible. Oh, really? oh. That was like. That was like one of the reasons that I stopped watching the unit was because it seemed like there was a speech like that every 25 minutes. So mm-hmm. I'm hoping that doesn't happen again. Although I mostly blame that on David Mamet. But uh, yeah, and, this, and the stuff on the island and the sub I thought was all was uniformly solid. Yeah, I'm glad that we see we theoretically have moved past the uh, Cobb has a problem with Grace story you know part of the story so hopefully that's because I was definitely getting tired. So I think the yeah. stuff we well, get with w- Grace this week is good. 
the, I, I found that a little bit pat. Like at the beginning of the episode, he's totally he's breaking her balls, and by the end, he's totally respecting her, which was maybe a little bit too quick. But I guess we'll see how that pans out. Yeah. Um, the last Thursday show we have here is Person of Interest, Trigger Man. Um, I, so I watched part of this uh, on your recommendation from last week and then stopped because the beginning, was, at least, of the episode was terrible. And so I went back and watched one of the A.B. Acker episodes that you had liked, which is what prompted my Oregon Trail uh, game playing. So that, it was good, if only for that. Uh, I was not anywhere near as impressed with the uh, earlier episode, as it seems like you were. Um, so I don't know if maybe I just picked the wrong one to watch, but person of interest still is not maintaining my interest. So I, I think it's, unless you tell me there's an amazing episode that happens, I think I'm, I'm done for the next while. Yeah. Uh, this episode wasn't all that great, uh, especially the, the mob plot line, like you mentioned, is just not interesting. Ah, um, I, we have to stop making that pun. <laughs> the, uh, eventually they do tie in Enrico Colantoni's character, who I didn't actually get to from last season, but it's just really nice to see him in a totally different capacity from what I'm used to. He's this sinister, but, but, you know, clearly brilliant criminal mastermind who's locked up in jail, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, which is, it's just fun to see him take on a totally different persona like that. So that was nice. Uh, the rest of the episode is totally ignorable. I mean, the, the, the what I liked about the Amy Acker episodes was that it seems like they were finally toying with sort of the with with serialization and also with sort of wider considerations of of having a machine like this around and what sort of what sort of people would be interested in in toying with it or manipulating it or or et cetera et cetera. Uh, and that I found interesting, but that's sort of been ditched at least for the for the at least for this period. So that's been disappointing. Yeah, uh, so you're going to keep watching? Uh, I don't know. I'm, I'll keep my ear to the ground. We'll see. Okay, let me know. Let me know when uh, the next good one is. Next we have, on Friday, we're going to group together the, the genre shows. So this week we had the pilot to Mockingbird Lane, which NBC showed as sort of a Halloween event. It apparently got pretty decent numbers, so we'll see if that helps. It's, it's, it hasn't been officially canceled yet, but also hasn't been picked up. Uh, so we'll see what happens with it. But for me, this was worth it just for Eddie, Eddie Izzard as Grandpa, who's hilarious throughout this. I'll, of course, like as we're going to talk about next week, I'm a big fan of Brian Fuller. So, you know, it, it just really feels like a Brian Fuller show. And I do think there's potential here to be a good show. But um, if it does, I, I'm not going to be heartbroken if it doesn't come back either. So if, if you like Brian Fuller, um, if you like Eddie Izzard, it's worth watching the pilot just for the humor that we get from him. But uh, it, it's not without its problems. Um, next, I'm going to mention Grimm uh, La Llorena. La, La Llorena? I don't know. Maybe I might be saying that wrong. Um, uh, but this is an episode, their, their Halloween episode. Uh, the thing I wanted to mention about this is that while it has a good central storyline and that's interesting this episode suffered from one of the things that that makes a lot of interesting but but uh faulty procedural television particularly annoying and that is the 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 summaries that we get we get an expo dump like every 10 minutes recapping everything that we've seen so far and and as someone who who's actually paying attention and watching it's, it gets really frustrating because if if you were gonna if you're gonna tell me everything every ten minutes, I only need to watch the last ten minutes of the show. So, 
stop wasting my time and actually focus on this interesting story that you've actually given your characters, your case of the week. Um, so that was a little frustrating as much as I have still been enjoying Grimm. But I think the main thing on our genre Friday is fringe the bullet that saved the world. Uh, what did you think of this episode? And did you see the thing that happens coming? Okay. No, obviously I didn't. Anyone who says they did is lying. Mm. Um, I mean, maybe you did three minutes before it happened, but that doesn't count. That doesn't count. Um, the yeah, I, I, this was another one of those uh, solid episodes with uh, a really interesting ending. Although, I mean, I don't really know where I land on them killing off Etta until I see how it plays out, because I'm not ruling out them going back in time to save her or some nonsense like that. Um, the the quest a aspect continues to bug me, so I'm hoping this episode just totally derailed that. Although it would make some of the re previous stuff pointless, so maybe not. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm up in the air about this. I know a lot of people were bowled over, but I'm still I'm still wondering where this is going. Yeah, I liked it more than you did. I have again, I have my review up at Sound on Sight, and uh, I especially I, I spent a lot of my review talking about Regina Haig. I think she's great, and I'm definitely going to miss her on the show. We'll see if you know, like you said, if she comes back um, at some point in in the show. There's I mean, there's only so many ways that could happen, but uh, honestly, I'd be shocked if she didn't come back at all. Yeah, we'll see. Um, but I, I liked the earlier part of the episode, too. I think that the power of her last scenes is is really quite... It's, it's done very well. And I think it gives, uh, it gives you know, our main cast some of the best material they've had to work with this season. Um, so I really like what we get with Joshua Jackson and, and Anna Torv there. Once again, Astrid has nothing to do and might as well not even be on the show, which is frustrating. But other than that, there's more action. There's you know a good balance of character and plot. And I'm also tired of the... I, I have no interest in this scavenger hunt thing that they have going on. But as far as you know, Fringe goes, I think this this is a good episode and one of their better episodes this season. And hopefully, you know, they'll, hopefully they'll have a few more things like this go down because I think that's going to help push the momentum forward and give this the final season the sense of... of finality and of closure that i think that i think it needs mm -hmm. oh and i was also impressed with Broyles aging makeup much better so much better than last time yeah and the last thing i'll say is they have this plan they're trying to piece together but what is the inscription on the pillow that they make sure to to specifically cite at the beginning if you want to make god laugh tell him your plan um and so i i assume that's like a subtle hint to that where they're gonna have they're gonna change the plan and go with something different but we'll see we'll see what happens all right and that next we have the uh the finale theoretically season but maybe series for probably the series of it. probably series okay and I ianucci said that it's he hasn't said it's 100% sure of the end, but he said it's 99% sure of the end. Oh, okay. Well, and, and it seems, you know, this works well to, if it's going to be the series finale. I think they could continue on from here. I think there's plenty that they could do. But as a series finale, at least I think it works well. What do you think? Yeah, I think it's a very... It has to be the one of the bleakest series finales, at least in comedy history, if not the bleakest. I, I would love to hear of a different one that's similarly dark, but... Yeah, this, I mean, the only person, the only people who come out with any kind of dignity are Malcolm, who ends up in jail, and Glenn, who is still a little bit pathetic, to be honest, but at least <laughs> he is, seems to be aware of it. Uh, so many good moments they cram in here. I, I kind of wish this had, uh, this had also been an hour long, like last week, 
Uh, it kind of makes the whole thing feel a bit lopsided, which is unfortunate because this did feel a little bit rushed. But uh, that just sort of meant for me that it was packed with goodness. I loved Stuart getting canned, and um, and Mannion's reaction to that was just was beautiful. Uh, Glenn's takedown of everyone, but most importantly, that that last scene between Malcolm and Ollie was mm-hmm. actually just really kind of powerful. Yeah, and just I I thought it was just a really amazing dramatic moment and. Props to Capaldi. That man can act. Watch Children of Earth. He's so good in it. Seriously, Fine. you should watch that. Yes, yes. Victory is mine. I'll move on. Um, yeah, I I agree. I, I love the stuff we get with Terry and the double stamping. Oh wow, that's hilarious. <laughs> uh, it, yeah. There's a lot of good stuff here with uh, the chop coming back. That's pretty great. Oh, God, that was so painful. Oh, yeah, this is a beautiful series finale as far as I'm concerned. And, uh, yeah, if, if as we say every time that we talk about the show, if you haven't seen it, it's on Hulu. It's fabulous. Watch this show. The The only thing I regret is, and this was also mentioned, I think, in the AV Club write-up, is I, it was too bad they couldn't get um, the fucker from last season. Mm-hmm. Who I'm not going to say who played the fucker, but he, he's he was great. Uh, th- there was a role that seemed perfectly tailored for the fucker, and I'm guessing he was busy, so he, they got someone else to do that, which was still great. And I I loved her uh, interacting with um with really everyone. Um, but yeah, this 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 whole f- finale was a win. Uh, I actually I think it would have been my second choice for spotlighting. Yeah, I would have been down for that. There are a lot of options this week, but yeah, definitely I would have been down for that. I, I just I hope Veep can step it up to be anywhere near that standard is all I have to say. Veep Even has, though I like Veep. Veep has a very different tone, a very different feel. Um, but yeah, you know, now that Inuchi is theoretically done with this, we'll see if he brings some elements of that over to Veep or if Veep remains its own thing. It'll be interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, on Sunday, we have Venture Brothers, A Very Venture Halloween which is their first episode of the year, and apparently their first episode, the only episode, sorry, of this year. What did you think? Were you glad to have it back? This is their first proper episode in two whole years, almost. It's been it's been seriously almost 24 whole months. I think the last one I read was November 22nd, 2010. Wow. Which is ridiculous. Um, so, yeah. But it's also, you know, two guys doing a ridiculous, wearing a ridiculous number of hats, so I'm not surprised. Uh, Venture Brothers is actually one of my favorite shows period i think it's it's got maybe the densest mythology of any series going on right now other than maybe i guess doctor who but doctor who has like 40 years on it so it's not really fair um and the fact that it's also hilarious most of the time is just icing on the cake and also very sad a lot which mm-hmm. i also enjoy of course um this i was surprised that this wasn't more madcap to be honest this was a little bit more based in character and continuity than i would expect for a halloween one-off so i'm I'm thinking of it more like a teaser for next season than as a, a sort of halloween than a sort of holiday episode but in as in so far as it is a holiday episode i like that they managed to shoehorn in christmas as well yeah with santa oh that was fabulous yeah, this as much as this may feel like a, a continuity-heavy episode from the perspective of someone who's seen... I've seen a bunch of season one and episodes randomly here and there, but nowhere near enough to have a firm grasp on the show's continuity. I had no trouble following this episode at all. I thought it was hilarious and so much fun and uh, definitely one of the best Halloween episodes this season. Uh, so so I really enjoyed it. So I, I don't think you needed to, to have the other... You know, to have that back uh, background knowledge to, to get a lot of enjoyment out of it. And I, I continue to really enjoy how now that they're no longer dying over and over, the, the kids are actually growing up. 
<laughs> and um, especially Dean and his yeah. ridiculous hair. <laughs> yeah, it was a good one. Uh, hopefully we don't have to wait this long to get to the next one. Apparently season five starts in the spring. So Fingers crossed. we can look forward to that. Next we have The Amazing Race, which uh, saw the Rockers back up top. And you, for once, didn't get the most points. You were like one of the fewest points point getters this week in The Amazing Race pool, though you're still winning by a lot. But still, I'll take the victories where I can get them. I, I like that you're, you're trying to slam me, and yet you got as many points as me this week. Yes, but I also did not get the most. Aha. Yeah, that's true. I, yeah, Yay. someone else got two more points than me. Well played. If only mm -hmm. I'd allocated my points a little differently. Um, uh, don't worry, I'll, I'll, I'll add another 15 to that next week. Um, the, uh, what, what's, what's stressful to me about the season is that there are so few teams I enjoy the company of at all. Mm -hmm. Uh, there's really just, uh, James and Abba, who I liked even before we got the cancer bit this week, uh, which was really, really, really sad. Um, it's like legitimately sad and not in a manipulative way, although I'm, it was absolutely manipulative, but still you play, you play the cancer card, you, you get that. Um, and pretty much just them and the Chippendales. Everyone else can go climb a tree for all I care. I like the twins. They're my pick right now. Uh, I, you know, I, I think a lot of the other people, yeah, aren't as interesting. I am enjoying the Chippendales. I am enjoying the Rockers. We'll see who the final three end up being. Um, I think we all expected this to be a, a non-elimination run, so I don't think there was any surprise there, but, uh. But yeah, the uh, yeah, there's definitely a, a, a lack of interest this season based on the casting. So hopefully that will not be the case next time. I, I've been I have really enjoyed the supposed irony of the of the metalheads being by far the most grounded and adult team, mm -hmm. uh, like by a lot. And yeah, the, <laughs> I'm sorry, the twins are just so shrill and annoying. I can't deal with them well, uh, at all. We'll see what happens with them moving forward, if if they can win you over, or if you still just want to kill them every time they start yelling about twinnies. Twinny, twinny, ah! Oh. <laughs> Let's talk, uh, well, briefly, uh, The Walking Dead, we have, of course, our separate uh, podcast for that, which is also on, on the Televerse feed, so if you subscribe on iTunes, you should already have our take on Sunday's episode, Walk With Me. Of course, that's the two of us, as well as Ricky G from the Sound On Say podcast. Uh, we were all a little underwhelmed by this episode, I think, was, you know, yeah, though we're, we're still liking this season. Yeah, we're waiting to see how, that, how this stuff pans out on the in Woodbury. Yeah, but let's talk a little uh, Good Wife, Waiting for the Knock. I really liked what we got this week with uh, Lamont Bishop, particularly his son, and uh, I'm a little uh, leery about what seems to be coming with uh, Maura Tierney's character, but I'm hoping that I'm wrong, so we'll see. Uh, but by which you mean the the affair being a real thing? Um. No, well, there's that, but also just the... Um, I, I don't want to say too much because it's something based on what we see in the promo and I know some okay. people don't watch promos so I don't want to get any spoilers uh, yeah uh, I mean mainly this was once again another good episode marred by the presence of Mark Warren as Kalinda's husband and it's not even Mark Warren's fault really it's not his it's, fault it's the writing it's, and I feel really really bad for the guy because I feel like he's going to be reviled whenever he shows up on any TV show for the next five years um, it's just such a crap character. And I, I, I like, like I said before, I, I feel even I, retroactively, I now feel bad for being interested in the character in the first place because, uh, yeah, that's just not going anywhere good at all. And the fact that they're, you know, now folding in Kalinda's first of all, did it, did it bother you at all when he kept referring to the, to this woman, to the, to the, to the fed as her lesbian girlfriend 
Isn't that a redundant? That's just a redundant statement right there. Yeah. Well, this character is an utter child. They've written him to be the most uninteresting. Like, I don't understand how Kalinda, even if she's, you know, grown since they were together, I don't understand how Kalinda has any interest in this guy at all. Why? He's just a joke. And he had some sense of danger and of uh, power or in his earlier appearances. But this week, everything we get is... You know, I love you, baby. I hit you because I love you, baby. Kind of stupid uh, yeah, stuff. Just but... so petulant. Absolutely. I mean, she, she. I don't understand why she's spending any time on this guy, and the writing isn't showing. I, I do think Mark Warren is a much better actor than the material they're giving him. I just, I really, I'm hope they need to fix him or get rid of him and quickly. Um, and they yeah. need to have and... Kalinda empowered in how they get rid of him. Yeah, and they they've already indicated that they're going to wrap this up sooner than they were originally planning. So hopefully. I don't know how soon that could possibly be, though, given the lead time on producing episodes. So we'll see. I also really like Nathan Lane this week. I thought it was fun to watch him have a little fun. Uh, yeah, totally. That was great. Yeah. And so so in general, I am liking the season and I'm liking what we've gotten. But uh, yeah, there's just a couple little elements that, that aren't quite working. Um, we're going to skip Call the Midwife this week and wait and talk about uh, next week after I believe next week is the uh, season finale or series finale. Uh, first series finale. Uh, and so we'll talk more about it then. Uh, but let's let's move on to Treme, which was on Sunday. And this is Careless Love. This was a Sunday-centric episode, which my review isn't no! up yet. <laughs> but yeah, we're not fans of Sunny here on the Televerse. Um, yeah. The, the, it's ve a very similar case to The Good Wife, where the show is solid as a whole, but just features a couple elements we don't care about. And this one featured a lot of it. I mean... Uh, to be honest, I, I did like the last shot of that plot with just him literally begging on his un, unbended knee to um, to his girlfriend's father. I did like that. I, I, frankly, I think if that had been the only scene of him this week, that would have been fine by me. Um, that would have worked actually perfectly. It's the, such a uh, by-the-numbers addiction storyline, though. That's what's yeah most yeah. disappointing. But, you know, this is a, this is a show that doesn't usually do that. And even when it does the performances and, and the, the the shading of it is specific enough to these characters and this in this location and this situation that, you know, that it gives it interest. But we don't get anything like that here. But I but I have to give it up to any show that has uh, Fats Domino singing um, Blueberry Hill and Swoon. then and then 10 minutes later an I Hate God concert. Yeah. No, it absolutely. It will be our, our music going into our spotlight is going to be Fats Domino singing Blueberry Hill in this episode because I was just goosebumps. I ah, oh, I loved it so much. And it was one of those things where I was watching this going, I, I for I didn't recognize him visually, and so I, when they're talking, he starts singing. I'm like, is that is that? I think that holy crap, that's Fats Domino. Yeah. Oh my god, why is everybody not talking about this? <laughs> yeah, that was pretty great. In general, Davis's whole plotline with his opera has just been fantastic. Yeah, Steve Zahn is hidden out of the park. His his performance when when I when Irma's recording that that just the the joy that he's getting the the, the sense of uh disbelief that this is actually happening that he it's actually working and i love this that that live on how some of it's even good <laughs> <laughs> is 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 uh, is great and then we also get some good stuff with Jeanette i love antoine and uh, desiree's storyline this week with with the student who uh, can't read yeah there's a lot to love about treme um 
So don't let sunny badness keep you from watching this show. No, definitely not. Definitely not. Um, on Monday, we have The Voice. They've started the knockout rounds. The, I'll be brief on this. The only thing I want to say is I'm so frustrated at the the structuring of the knockout rounds. This is something that's new because they had these massive teams, and so they have to pair them down incredibly quickly. So much like in the battle rounds, they have two people go head-to-head, only this time they get to sing whatever song they want, and then the, the coach picks the better of the two and the other person's eliminated is gone. The trouble is that, um, and, and it appears that there was a two hour episode yesterday. There's a two hour episode tonight, and then that'll be the end of the knockouts and we'll be to the live rounds. So it looks like they're not, you know, they're not really stretching it out, but unfortunately because of the idiocy of some of the pairings of the battles, uh, on both Adam's team and also on CeeLo's team, they have, they both had about, four to maybe six really good singers and then a bunch of mediocre to maybe promising but not very good singers and of those uh of those let's say 10 really good singers i think four of them have moved on maybe five to this next round between the two teams so both because they both coaches ended up putting two of their best singers against each other twice you have these people who are really good who have gone home and these people who are utterly mediocre going through. And so it's incredibly frustrating in that I am far less interested in the live rounds than I, you know, with these teams than I would be if they, if they all sang and then he picked five or something like that. I don't know. It just, it makes me not want to actually watch the show when, when I, when I have to listen to two different people did Taylor Swift songs and this, this week and, and, uh, and one of the kids, one of the younger guys, did uh call me maybe as a slow down acoustic number because the lyrics I, I, of call I, me maybe are so enthralling you have to make sure you really hear them come on I, i've got nothing against call me maybe or taylor swift but i don't think i would want to watch that yeah exactly so it appears i i have more of that headed for me as opposed to this one woman who destroyed a whitney song destroyed it she was so good and she goes home because the person she went up against was just as good Ugh, god so anyways i'm frustrated with the voice we'll see what happens uh tonight with the other two teams hopefully christina and blake do a better job of of you know of, of eliminating the weaker members of their team but i'm not very optimistic let we're going to end our week in tv with revolution sex and drugs uh we had a bit, a bit of a mislead this week the promo gave us a very promised a very different episode than we actually got i didn't see this promo so i'd like to know what you mean Oh, in the promo, it's implied that in order to get medical treatment for Nora, the creepy drug dealer dude wants to sleep with Charlie and that she's being offered up to him as opposed to she's being offered up to go kill a dude. Uh, so it's very different uh, in the way that they edited the um, the episode together uh, or the, the trailer together. You can see when you watch the episode how they put it together really easily, but yeah, it was interesting. I actually preferred the way that they went with it. I thought it was more interesting. But the trouble is the execution of this episode, the dialogue, the the storyline, the flashbacks they give Zach Orth's character, they're all terrible. I hated this episode. <laughs> I find this strange. I mean, I thought it was fine. I didn't... I didn't ah, it, so it was, bad! Uh, it, 
it seemed perfectly in keeping with what we've seen before. I don't know why this particular one would piss you off that much. Actually, I have some idea. I assume that you didn't like the Zach Orth flashback because you didn't like him making an executive decision to take off. No, um, it's not that. It's the fact that it was done so stupidly. And in 15 years, this there's nothing to trigger these flashbacks. There's, we're not given a reason why these flashbacks are triggered. And this character has had no emotional growth in the 15 years since this original event happened. Come on. <laughs> I, that's not a problem for me. First of all, I, I, it, I think it's clearly being triggered because he's he's finding himself once again in a situation where he's pretty sure he's he's not he's not very useful and everyone else is pretty sure he's not very useful either. Yeah, but that's happened uh, the entire every single week. There's nothing new about that. And you'd think that in uh, I, I have so much problem with 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 this. It, it makes more sense for Charlie to be flashing back to a traumatic incident from her past, her mother leaving her than this. To be what's Which, you know triggering. Well, she does. She does have a flashback. Um, it's brief, but it does happen. Mm. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't. I, it seemed like it just kind of felt like to me like it was Zach Orth's turn for an episode, and maybe that's maybe yeah. that's lame, but it 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 seemed appropriate, and I, I he continues to be uh, quite good on the show. I think. Um, I don't know. There was, and I kind of as much as uh, Drexel just being completely ridiculous should have bothered me. It was actually entertaining. The fact that it was played by a justified Alum probably helped. Um, He's always great. He gets characters like this all the time. Uh, fabulous character actor. And he always just gives the characters so much relish that it's hard to not enjoy them. So I'm, I was fine with that. I just, I really disagree. I think Zach Orth was not particularly good in this episode. I think he was saddled with and completely uninteresting and just ridiculously stupid flashback and 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 character development here also doesn't help that your climax is oh the bullet was stopped by a flat that's not how bullets work <laughs> that's not how that, uh, that's just oh, we, stupid our, our, let, let's not start with that's not how x works for revolution we're, it, we're never going to get out of that rabbit no, hole no I, I can i can accept the we don't know what happened with the the series set up you know the it doesn't really make sense but you have to buy in because that's the premise of the show I can accept that. I'm not going to accept I shoot myself, I put the gun right next to my chest, and the bullet is stopped by a flask. Come on. Um, I, I Actually, the bit of that that I couldn't accept is that he shoots Drexel, and then all the others are just like, they just kind of stand around. Like, really? You'd think a reflex would be to shoot the guy, but all right. Yeah, there's a lot of problems with it. It's just, it's, it's really not good. I do think Tracy Spiridakis in her scene with the... The other, the person she's been sent to kill, I think that she's actually pretty good there. Um, though I, I know that she, she's a, a somewhat divisive figure and that people, a lot of people have a problem with her. Are you are you enjoying her more or is she still a weak point? I don't think she's as bad as some people think she is. I think people just have difficulty with the character and I don't, I think any actress would be having this issue. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, she, I mean, she's clearly not the highlight of the cast, but I, I think she has steadily gotten a little bit better. Yeah. Um, if we get another episode like this, I'm out for Revolution. Uh, I'm hoping that this is a blip, but we'll see. All right. So that's, that wraps up our week in TV. Now we're going to take a little break, listen to some Fats Domino killing Blueberry Hill. Oh, love it. And uh, we'll come back and talk some Homeland. <laughs> Found my thrill on Blueberry Hill. On Blueberry Hill, when I was drinking. 
things to steal was Fats Domino singing uh, Blueberry Hill from uh, from Treme this week. But this in the spotlight this week, we have Q&A, uh, a fabulous episode of Homeland featuring, of course, almost uh, almost entirely Carrie and Brody, uh, either in scenes together or Carrie watching over the interrogation of Brody uh, by her colleague. There was, there was some other stuff that went down this week. Maybe we should start with that. Uh, can we just agree that the stuff with Dana is terrible and I really am disappointed by where that seems to be going? I don't think we can agree on that. I mean, I, I again, I think I th- for me, the jury's out on that. I feel like this is all going to tie in and I don't know how yet. And I'm, I'm and I feel and it feels like folly trying to figure it out in advance. Um, And I think Dana continues to be a, a great character. So I really don't have an issue with that. I mean, yeah, the VP son being a dick is, is you know, is predictable. But I feel it feels in keeping with the show's opinion of, of uh, of establishment and establishment types. So yeah, I don't really have an issue with that. You don't have an issue with the the like the first time they try they do anything slightly silly or crazy, he runs over somebody. Come on, that's like that. In the comparison to twenty four, that that's uh. Kim getting attacked by a cougar that's you know like that's just that was terrible it's the accelerated pace of homeland man shit happens fast <laughs> no oh gosh we're so on different pages on this okay so let's instead let's talk uh then let's mention quickly jessica i like what we get with her this week yeah i i can't imagine she's going to be in the in the dark about anything for very long and i like that i know some people feel like brody was lying to her at the end but I don't think he was. I think he was being as honest as he could, and he is helping the CIA out with something. It's just he doesn't tell her why. I He definitely does not tell the whole truth. I, I think if he wanted to be honest about why he was helping the CIA, he would, and he doesn't. Period. I don't think he can tell her, oh, well, I was a terrorist, and I was almost blew up the vice president, and now I'm... I've, I don't think he can... I, I think that. if he wanted to, he could. I mean, he doesn't okay. have to tell her. I think I'm pretty sure they didn't want her to tell her. I, I'm pretty sure they didn't want him to tell her anything. Yeah. And he decides to to compromise and go for the middle ground. Mm-hmm. So I feel like he absolutely could explain it. Like, he could sit down over a candle at dinner and tell her the whole story. And she'd move out for a few days and then forgive him and come back and all will be well. But that's not what he decides to do. Okay. Uh, let's focus then on the meat of this episode, which is, of course, Carrie and Brody and uh, and Brody's interrogation. What did you think? Uh, can I just I, – I need to – I want to give a medal to Henry Brommel, who wrote this episode. He's also the uh, principal showrunner of Rubicon. And that that middle sequence between Carrie and Brody reminded me so much of the best parts of Rubicon, only better because it had a stronger emotional core – and that sequence was my favorite of the whole series so far. That was fan fucking tastic. I thought. Yeah, no, it's fabulous. It's it's really good. Um, they're they're both amazing. It's so well written, uh, really nicely shot. I mean, the one thing I was on the fence about was uh, Carrie's new um, supervisor stabbing him in the hand, which seemed like a bit much. I don't know, but you know, again, Homeland, it's accelerated. <laughs> All right. 
I was okay with that because he, I mean, it it came out of nowhere, so it seemed pretty obvious that it was a setup, at least on his part, but I th- that I don't think he told anybody else about. Um, so it seemed like a, a ploy to me, but a very effective one, and I think the performance, just the crazy eyes that we get from him are fabulous. I think he mm-hmm. did a really good job in selling it. <laughs> he's, he's been learning from the best. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I think the trouble, the only trouble I had with this episode, aside from the, the utter frustration for me of that you know, hit and run storyline with Dana is the, um, I think this was a little overhyped for me. Um, not in that it didn't live up to that hype, but in that it, it gave me different expectations going into it. Um, in that I was expecting it to be, uh, bigger in the way that the show has often been really had really big performances, especially from Claire Danes and Damian Lewis. And this is such a subtle, episode the, the the scenes between them are absolutely charged and they're fantastic but it's all in what they don't say and what they don't do mm-hmm. and and so like there's just the simplicity of particularly Danes's performance I think is is really fantastic but I, I had trouble at first I was at the first part of the episode I I was uh let down by it somewhat but because I had to shift my expectations and I when I realized oh you know, this is gonna be all about subtlety this is going to be all about just the space between sentences then i was able to really appreciate it mm-hmm. uh yeah that i really can't throw enough superlatives at that whole sequence um uh, and on paper i could see how it could read as being fairly schematic like okay for these for these first few beats you don't tell her anything you don't tell her anything and then she breaks you down and then you tell her something and if you, if you it's kind of, it's you know if you really if you were to get a teleplay and and look it over it would be mathematical but the way they do it is just so uh, incredibly powerful and so human and what was really amazing to me was it, it actually redeemed some plot points from the past that didn't really work for me like uh Damian Lewis's whole transformation for instance into terrorist has never worked for me at least the way we saw it on screen but the way he but the way he was confronted with it by Danes in this scene made it work for me and that's quite something well and i'm really really interested to see what comes next for that character not plot wise but character wise i i think it was really good that they had that just that really brief interaction between Jessica and Dana where where Dana says dead came back different and I think that was important because we hadn't really gotten a sense of that from those characters. And, you know, this is a show, like I'm saying, this, this, like this episode, just it trades in subtlety when it's appropriate. And and so I, I don't think we needed some big confrontation about how he's all different now, because of course he would be. But I like that the show actually had the characters who knew him before comment on that. Mm-hmm. And I, I love that that bit in the, in the main sequence of Danes and Lewis talking about their experiences a little bit and and trying to relate to other people and they just can't mm-hmm. and that's just it and and, and yeah just the I, I i have to start talking about that sequence but holy crap um yeah it's the, the sequence and the, to talk about yeah and the fact that it's coming at not even the midway point of the season and now we still have no idea where this is all i mean now at least we have a direction of where things are going but i still don't know how it's going to tie in with the dana stuff or how crazy it's going to get. And what's funny is I've, I've even seen, I feel like I've even seen the, the influence of Homeland and it's pacing uh, spread out like uh, Dexter, which is on the same network. I feel like the fact that it's pacing has gotten so much better this season and they've decided to pull the trigger is a direct influence of Homeland. I could be reading into it, but that's how it feels to me. 
Yeah, or even just the for Dexter because they had set the end date for that series, so they were able to. Yeah, I think that helps. But no, I think the fact that Homeland's been doing that, I think that people, you know, showrunners, and uh, and just writers, television writers, are have watched Homeland, watched it last season, and saw you can do this and it can work. You can have game changing episodes, and and, it, and that's such a overused term by us as well as everybody else, uh, or I should say by me as well as everybody else. But um, you can have these huge forward jumps in your storytelling in episode three of your season, episode four. Here it's episode five. We have another the second half of the season, another five episodes, uh, and so I, I I'm not too worried about what next season, you know, the, about them running out of story before the end of the season. I, you know, I think that there's so much that they have to explore that, you know, even with similar jumps forward in, in either time or story, I think they'll have, they have plenty of story to finish out the season really interestingly. And, and there's, no, and there's nothing to stop them from introducing new stories, new characters that they, they can exactly. keep expanding this universe. And it doesn't necessarily always need to be Brody and Carrie centric. Yeah, absolutely. And we still don't we, we still don't know who the mole is, and I don't think that we, there's any indication that we're going to find that out soon. So, you know, there's a lot that they have to deal with. Um and, and I I'm really enjoying the ride. And when when we get scenes like this, you know, when we get sequences, I guess I should say, like like we do this episode, I mean, it makes any potential risk taking absolutely worth it. Yes. Oh, and just to be clear, this is what I was crying a lot at <laughs> this week. I found this tremendously affecting. It's just so raw, the emotion of it. Yeah. And honest. And uh and just when uh you know, the the the, the physicality of Damian Lewis's performance this week, I love that they have him back on the floor in the fetal position. And and it's something that, you know, because of the conventions of television, because of, you know, we're used to this sort of thing from watching so much TV, looking back on it, of course his, you know, return was too, his transition was too easy. It happened too quickly. He should have been fucked up for, you know, the entirety of the first season, not just a few episodes. And so to see the, the, those construct constructed walls just, come down so easily this week um i think it made a lot of sense and to see him back in in the fetal position you know he's still this just really broken down shell of a person and uh yeah it, it was or, just fabulous or a, or a husk as peter capaldi would, would put it yeah um, <laughs> oh peter capaldi <laughs> um yeah you should get this... him on this show now oh my god he'd be so good on homeland holy crap uh yeah totally a um like an mi5 uh, liaison or something I'd, I'd be up for that um yeah this was just great uh I, I think it was probably my favorite of this season so far and i'll be very curious to see how they follow it up and if, and if they can match that intensity uh one one or two more times over the course of the season if they can do that i think it'll already be better than season one yeah we'll have to see uh what comes next but i cannot wait Absolutely. Totally. I'm actually stoked. Okay, so we're going to take do a few show notes here uh, before we go to our DVD shelf with Robert Elder about Millennium. Our intro and outro music is Sweet Petite by The Bicycles. You can find us at soundonsite.org where we're going to have a post up for this podcast, so feel free to leave us a comment. Let us know what you're thinking. Let us know what your... How about this week? What is your Halloween viewing is? So maybe your favorite... Uh, Halloween episode this season, or or just you know if you have a, something that you always watch on Halloween, does that sound like you know, like a good idea? Sure, yeah, Halloween traditions or the, the Great Pumpkin. Yes, any of that stuff. Um, and, and uh, of course we're both uh, on Twitter. I am at the Televerse. You are. 
I'm at Sucker Howl. And you can email us, theteleverse at gmail.com. Everybody out there, let us know what you're thinking about all this stuff. And uh, hopefully you'll enjoy our DVD shelf. You know, if you're looking for an episode to watch for Halloween, this is the one that we're about to talk about. It's a pretty good one, yeah? Yes, I agree. Absolutely. So, so let's listen to a clip and some music, and we'll be, be right back with Robert Elder talking Millennium. Hey, Bludge. <laughs> hey, what are you doing here, Frank? We moved back to Seattle. You and Catherine? Yeah. I miss the weather. <laughs> hey, this is Frank Black. Used to work homicide here before he became a big star at the FBI. You're the guy that caught the guy. A serial murderer who ate his victims. What's his name? Piggott. Leon Cole Piggott. I was always curious. How do you prepare them? In a skillet with potatoes and onions. Mm. <laughs> Got a minute? Yeah, sure. How about this woman two days ago, the one with the little girl? Any chance you could take me down to see the body? She went down fighting. I can tell you that. <laughs> he severed her head. No mean task, let me tell you. She was clothed. There was no evidence of sexual assault. What else? He cut off her fingers. The man with the x-ray eyes. What did hair and fiber turn up? Maybe you should tell me. How's he do that? I don't know. Lucky guesser. I'm working with a consulting group. These guys have a lot of experience with this sort of thing. They could take a look. I've got three detectives assigned to this. What do I tell them? That the killer is going to be hard to catch. They could use some luck or some help. the Televerse. This is Kate Kalsik, joined as ever by Simon Howell. And this week on the DVD shelf, we are pleased to welcome back Robert K. Elder, the author of The Film That Changed My Life. And you're, you're here this time to help us talk Millennium, which I believe we teased the last time you were here. Yeah, yeah. And not just Millennium, but like a very specific episode of Millennium, because it only ran for three seasons. It was an X-Files uh, spinoff. Uh, and I have been obsessed with uh, a particular uh, episode written and directed by Darren Morgan, uh, and it's called uh, "Somehow Satan Got Behind Me," um, and and uh, he also did like the Jose Chung uh, episodes. He did Jose Chung's From Outer Space for the X Files, and uh, he did Jose Chung's Doomsday Defense also in this season. Uh, a really, really sort of a, a amazing writer. Well, and uh, you, you mentioned Jose Chung. I mean, that character, of course, originated in X Files, and he's he's here as well. That those two episodes, I think, are both probably my favorites of their two respective series. Uh, so clearly, he's doing something right. Well, and and so so tell me. So I forced you. I forced you to see somehow Satan got behind me. So what do you think? Oh, it was great. It was a lot of fun. Um, it. You know, it fits very well into um, the sort of, sort of tradition of anthology point of view sort of standalones that I feel like series like Millennium often end up doing an episode like this. Um, first of all, for those who don't know, uh, Millennium, like like we said, it's been up of the X-Files, but it's about a, a FBI profiler who gets kind of 
tied up in this mysterious uh group called the millennium group and ends up investigating serial killers all sorts of nasty stuff but uh, the show takes a more supernatural or um re sort of religious uh take on that sometimes and so in this episode specifically somehow satan got behind me uh we, we step away from the frank black character to to focus on f sort of like an anthology of interest it, it was reminding me of uh, the futurama anthology of interest uh episodes where with four four demons or satans or whatever at a uh, at a coffee shop at a uh, donut shop each telling one of the 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 act breaks of of the episode about uh, their particular approach to tempting souls um but yeah there you know there's an i feel like there's an episode like this in every uh in every mainstream sort of genre show and this i think they execute it really well well, not only that, but but the the makeup is also pretty amazing because basically these are four older character actors that we've all seen in different things, and then at a certain point in the donut shop, you know, they all become these demons, you know, elaborate makeup, and it's still the same voice and still the same affect, and it's all very humorous. Um, but I I just was so taken by it, and I think you know when I saw it, I was an X Files fan. I didn't really care much about Millennium, and I saw it and. You know, um, uh, Darren Morgan had done not just the Jose Chung episodes, but uh, he had done uh, he had written Humbug, which is the 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 circus of uh, uh, the circus freaks episode. Um, and he himself was an actor. He played Fluke Man, which was the the mutated fluke worm guy. Um, and um, let me see, he also was in another episode as an actor. I'm for, I'm forgetting exactly which one, but he played a shapeshifter. Um, but his strength was really as a writer and you could tell like one of his episodes because it had sort of personality and character and um, uh, you know, a lot of like really dark humor, but also this sort of like, you know, thought provoking humanity, you know, like this, this, this darkness and humor that really, really came through. Um, and it's just now as I'm talking, I realized Simon, we haven't asked you at all what you think of it. <laughs> Um, it's, it's very good. I, I watched this, the Jose Chang episode and a few other sort of stray episodes of Millennium to get a sort of a better idea of what the series is about. Um, what's interesting to me is how there's, you know, this episode in particular just seems like it, I mean, yes, it's true that especially sort of serialized genre, genre shows have episodes like this. Um, you mentioned Kate, uh, ahead of time that it was very similar to the Batman, the animated series episode almost got him, mm -hmm. uh, which it really is. Um, but it's, this also feels very distinct from actually the two, uh, Morgan episodes feel very distinct from the rest of the show in the sense that they have a sense of humor. Uh, I mean, the, the show is quite dour most of the time. This is, you know, I mean, Lance Henriksen is not generally the most, uh, sort of, yeah, he has a certain charisma, I guess, but he's a he's a very he's got a very gloomy screen presence. Lots of gravitas. Lots of gravitas, which they have fun with actually, specifically in the Jose Chung episode, mm. um, where he very specifically has a scene where he's not like that. But um, yeah, it, it's it, it's the, in especially in the context of the series as a whole, it's it's a strange and kind of wonderful episode. And I have to say that for single scenes and visual images one of the weirdest things i've ever seen on any tv show <laughs> has to be a standards and practices guy dancing around holding a gun looking at a small cgi baby devil also dancing around all to the tune of black flag 
Oh, Very that's strange. amazing. <laughs> it, it, it really is. It's the only part of the episode, you know, so it's broken down. Like each of these demons have four stories about, you know, how they've tempted humanity. And, you know, one is, uh, you know, the serial killer, uh, you know, this demon sort of uh, helps a serial killer along in his um, uh, in his legend, basically a reluctant serial killer who he sort of pushes over the edge. There's the standards and practices guy. There's a guy who sort of, um, uh, it's just kind of pathetic, pathetic. Yeah. Yeah. Just his pathetic life. And it leads to his, his demise. And then of course there's this really poignant one where one of the demons becomes sort of the lover and confidant of a stripper. And what I loved about the economy of this episode is it, it has about four sets and each of the stories comes back to these sets. So, you know, there's a, there's a laundromat that they all go to. There's a, the same strip club they all go to. And it's got this wonderful sort of tied up indie film feeling without feeling forced. Absolutely. Um, I just got to ask, do you guys know the timeline of when this aired versus the Allie McBeal baby? Because that was the immediate parallel I made. And this is so much more awesome with that, you know, with that cultural comparison. Well, and it, it actually came um, afterwards because mm-hmm. even in the episode, they talk about, like, you know, it's old and it's sort of stupid. It's it's the only <laughs> thing that really, really dates it um, is is the, the devil baby, um, you know. It, um, oh, but I love that aspect to it. I love that it's like, yeah, that's right. We're doing the Ally McBeal baby thing. Only now it's a devil. And... Well, and <laughs> there's also the, the implication that Ally McBeal is the work of Satan. Yeah. It, yes, yes. <laughs> it's yeah, nice. Clear, clear. Uh, <laughs> Uh, uh, parallel, absolutely, absolutely. But um, uh, so, so of the four, uh, uh, Kate and Simon, what are, what are your what's your favorite? I mean, oh, it's hard to beat man. the standards of practices. I thing. think I have to go um, for the dancing devil baby. Uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> it, it, you know what's extra strange about this episode is considering it in the context of the season, because I, I noticed that this episode comes right before the two part uh, end of the season, in which the world ends. Well, sort of. And, um, which, which by the way, I have to also mention, speaking of wild stuff that happens on this show, the last episode of season two features a 10 minute apocalypse montage set to the entirety of land by Patty Smith, which is like, which is just has to be the height of Chris Carter doing whatever the fuck he wants to do. (laughs) See, I always feel like whenever you have an apocalyptic sort of ending, um, it should always, always be a blue oyster Colts. uh, Don't fear the reaper. I just, I just (laughs) think it has to be. Um, but I, I think actually like that began like a Stephen King miniseries. So I, I, I think it's, uh, it's for a revival. It's, it's taken. Yeah. No, this, <laughs> <laughs> well, I think the, one of the things that makes this episode so successful, um, and, and there, you know, Supernatural is another show that does the things like this every now and again, and at least at its height, it did it very well. Maybe not so much yet, but I, I have hopes that it'll come back is that, uh, it, you know, a slot like this, like this is the 21st out of 23 in season two. Some of Satan got behind me. And, and so it's that slot right before, uh, things get absolutely crazy and the world falls apart. They, the, the show takes a breather and does a more standalone, a more, uh, uh, comedic episode to let the audience sort of catch their breath before what is probably going to be a very depressing and dark end of the season. And I think it, Which it, it was, yeah, oh, it totally was. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and, and I think it works particularly well in that in that function. I would say the other episodes, some of the other episodes that I watched that I most enjoyed were also comedic ones. I really liked the uh, season three episode 13 years later, which is all it's 
you find out at the end of the episode, it's told from the perspective of a crazy person who's thinks that he is Frank Black, and it's all like on the set of a movie, and Lance Henriksen actually gets to do some comedy um, and some like really deadpan stuff that's, that's pretty great. Um, and then also, of course, when we already mentioned uh, Jose Chung's uh, Doomsday Defense. And I think one of the great things about Doomsday Defense is that it balances that incredible, quirky comedy with some, some really dark, you know, elements. And it, it, it's comedic and it has a sort of whimsy that we don't normally get on Millennium. But the end of the episode feel, puts it right, I think, in sort of the tone of the show and makes it fit in really well. Sure. Well, and it, it's also worth saying it, it's almost sort of passe now, but but the Doomsday Defense is a is a Scientology parody. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it sort of goes out of its way, and it's almost too easy now. You know, there've been a, a number of things that have done that, um, including um, you know uh, Eddie Murphy and, and uh, Steve Martin and Bowfinger. You know, that's a that's a yeah, Scientology parody. But this did it in 1997. That's what yeah. I'm saying. I'm saying, you know, it, it's sort of looking back at it now. It's 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 sort of really interesting and biting, and it's great that you know Charles Nelson Riley, who is Jose Chung, this sort of uh, pop novelist, um, you know, talks about you know him telling the Elron Hubbard character that you know your writing sucks, you know, and and, and basically <laughs> yeah. you know propelling him into you know to 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 found his own religion. I really love that, um, and yeah. I. I I think the one thing I don't know have, have we mentioned it yet, yet? But but so Darren Morgan, who you know who who wrote these episodes, also wrote what I think is the best X Files episode, which is Clyde Bruckman's final repose, um, and it it won both uh, him and Emmy and Peter Boyle, who plays the title character, uh, an Emmy. So am I am I alone here? Do it. I really think that's the best X Files episode. Uh, I have a couple other ones that I probably like a little more, but it's definitely it's definitely up there. It's definitely in the conversation. Oh, sadly, I've not seen enough X Files to make to to pass judgment. But once I have, I'll I'll let you know. <laughs> well, let's talk a little bit. I, I know mostly we're focusing on these two episodes, but let's talk a little bit about the series in general. For uh, watching this show, I had caught some of it during its actual run, but uh, I wasn't very familiar with it. First of all, there, it's a solid pilot, but. But more than anything, I've just enjoyed this is this is such a singular show. There's, shows like this don't get made anymore. Lance Henriksen doesn't get cast to be your your main lead of a show. And it's also one of the most gray and like we, we said earlier, dour, un, unrepentantly just grim series that I think I've seen. Sure. And I think it's sort of a, a, a forerunner to something like Fringe. I think if you like Fringe, you like Millennium. It sort of has, you know, groups with dubious intentions and dubious histories. And, um, you know, we can get into what the Millennium group is, but basically it's the Illuminati. You know, they mm-hmm. have special knowledge. They're trying to either cause or prevent the end of the world. Um, and it, it's sort of peripheral and it kind of doesn't matter except to those, you know, people who stuck through it all three seasons. But you're right. I mean, it's all all the action takes place in Seattle and, 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 and or, you know, and it's filmed in Vancouver, B.C. So what I love about it is every outdoor sequence I know was shot in like 10 minutes as they waited for a cloud cover to pass. Because, the you know, check <laughs> check out any outdoor scene and the the ground is always, always, always wet. Well, and something else worth mentioning about this for those unfamiliar with it, if you're a fan of, say, Lost, uh, Terry O'Quinn has a, a prominent role in the series, and I was I was so pleased when I po- I popped in uh, some uh, no not some Jose Jose Chung, uh, and saw wait this has this is a Jose Chung episode and it has Terry O'Quinn, thank you, 
Mm-hmm. With 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 a mustache, by with the way, with a little like yeah. John Waters pencil mustache. Uh, it's mustache. hilarious. This is, I mean, in the canon of Terry O'Quinn roles, though, this has to be his most reserved, at least in terms of what I've seen. If if you think of Lost or Sixty Six Park Avenue, or even going all the way back to the Stepfather, I would give it uh, to Alias, but but yeah, <laughs> it's it's not far off. <laughs> so if you're if you're hoping for like mustache twisting with that mustache, it's not going to happen. No, no, very John Waters. It's very John Waters. Yeah, and and once again, I also enjoy, and, and you skit this in Hosey Chung again. I love when they give him comedy. He's this great line in Doomsday Defense about, uh, how, you know, he's talking with the Frank Black, the main character, and it's like Frank wants to know why they're backing off of this, you know, this thing that's going on with the Scientology analog, and he's like, we've we've started to the the biggest evil imaginable, and just Terry Quinn completely, totally deadpan. Evil can't sue. Yeah, yeah. And I uh, think I just was dead for a day. Oh yeah, evil, <laughs> evil incarnate can't sue. Like that's what that's what I love. We've never backed down. It's like yeah, but these guys have lawyers. I I really really love it. The, I mean, there's also some like really meta little in jokes. Mm-hmm. Like uh, you know, uh, for the Jose Chung episode, you know, he uh, Frank actually says to the author Charles Nelson Riley, uh, Jose Chung. It's like oh, you know, I, I loved your book, A Lap Full of Severed Tongues. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and Riley says that was my worst book, you know. Uh, it, it just made me think like this is basically you know uh, uh, Kilgore Trout. You know, this is this is Kurt Vonnegut's Kilgore Trout. This guy who gets to have this amazing write life and write all these books, but he's not actually you know a real uh, writer. So you get to come up with these great uh, projects and and novels for him to have written, but never having to write them. Well. I- I even see I even see a little bit of a Garth Marenghi connection there, uh, yeah. <laughs> which I very much enjoyed. Um, I, I think something watching just these few episodes of Millennium, something struck me, which is that nowadays what you wouldn't get is this huge tonal gap between episodes, mm. where you know it's allowed to have episodes that are pitch black and full of apocalyptic torment, et cetera, et cetera, and then you've got episodes like like the two we're principally discussing that are almost completely comic relief. And I, I, I feel like shows aren't really allowed to veer that much in various directions like that quite so much. Yeah. I, I walked in on my wife uh, watching parenthood and mm-hmm. I'm just like, like, sweetheart, you know, this is a bad show, right? Oh, and, and she's like, she's like, she's like, controversy. yeah, yeah, yeah. But she's just like, but it's, it, but it's, it's bad in all the right ways. And she's like, you know, crying. Like it, it, it is so like lifetime television, but I'm just I, I I think of like you know when are when is that ever going to have you know an episode that's light and fluffy when when are they going to have like a girls' night out episode and I just think like no that's not what that audience wants. Well, you know, it's one of those things, and I do I, maybe this is just because I, I have I'm more versed in genre television, but I do think it's a, a more common thing in your in your genre uh, procedurals or quasi procedurals like in X Files like a uh, like a supernatural or or even you know fringe every now and again they have they have a funnier episode brown betty uh, comes to mind not uh, very recently though oh yeah that was that was last season i think but um but and i think that's you know that's one of the things that makes it fun where you know cuz i think if i think the millennium kept a consistent tone all the way through you would just crush your soul because it is so moody, I guess is the right word. Um, and one of the things I enjoy the cinematography on the show, I have to mention the yellow house. Uh, my, the house I lived in in grad school looks just eerily similar to that yellow house. <laughs> so 
so that so that it was a little like extra fun for me but you know the, just the way that, that this is shot it feels very cinematic they uh the the music didn't particularly wow me but it doesn't have that 90s uh synth that i was expecting um and and i don't know i just i think it is very much while it doesn't have you know you doesn't you don't have your central uh lead couple which is was such a driving force of the x-files i do feel like with the tonal shifts with uh some of the you know the focus on um on on the, these production elements it does feel very much of a piece with x-files well and it's also it's also at a very sort of fragile time for the, like the fox network like this is still sort of a baby network when this is coming out um and there's all sorts of meta jokes uh, uh, especially in the somehow satan got behind me episode because you have the standards and practices guy and like yeah it's a little dated because of the ally mcbeal sort of uh devil reference but also like this sort of shot at the standards and practices guy, which, you know, is Darren Morgan, you know, settling some scores. Um, but it's, you know, making fun of like, you know, the, the devil who, uh, is the instigator basically says, you know, I've damaged, you know, millions of, of human souls with just this one act. And they're like, well, how do you mean? And basically this guy's like murder suicide gets broadcast as when humans attack, which is, you know, a much derided, you know, uh, when animals attack, which is, you know, Fox, uh, it was sort of the 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 nadir of their uh, programming. So I really, really love that. But it was really a, a sort of a time uh, capsule for me just to remember like, oh, yeah, I remember when they were just like, you know, a little network junior. Yeah, absolutely. It also occurred to me um, when I told you about not just the series, but this particular episode. Um, it is the second episode I've discussed with you guys that have devils in them, like like <laughs> literal devils. So I don't know what that says about me. But it, this also reminded me, uh, there's a great Neil Gaiman book he wrote with Terry Pratchett called Good Omens. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, oh, man, it's, I read that like a decade ago. Yeah, but it, it's it, it's got not necessarily a similar concept, but it's got this sort of lovely feel that, you know, angels and demons are real and they sit around and they tempt people and they, you know, uh, cause all sorts of problems. Um, and that's that reminded me of exactly what these devils do. You know, they sort of, live and work us um, work amongst us and they are so cynical um which is basically uh, you know gaiman and pratchett's take as well so if you love good omens you will uh, love uh, somehow satan got behind me well and even just the uh, well, I mean, i'm curious what you guys think of that end to the, the end to that episode just the the way that these characters deflate upon you know the that 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 attack i guess the just that offhand line from from frank yeah, uh, the 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 line basically is well, and and we we should tell listeners who haven't seen this that that Frank comes into each one of these little stories, um, and Frank has sort of a special power in which he can see their true nature. So he sort of suspects what's going on, um, and he says to one of them, um, "You must be so lonely," and they sort of all laugh it off, and then one by one, just sort of like shuffle out, you know, in bad, yeah. yeah, 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 in like you know bad posture. Uh, and I, I, I think it's what makes it so memorable, you know, because even these these characters, these sort of metaphorical demons, have this sort of like haunted, pathetic loneliness. Um, and, and again, like if nothing else survives from this series, that single episode uh, has stuck with me years later. Yeah, well, and it fits in it in a weird way, even though it's much more comedic. It fits in in a strange way with the rest of the series in that it takes a dim view of basically everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> not, not even demons catch a break. 
<laughs> good times. Yeah, and the and the one thing you like will probably die. Mm, probably. <laughs> Probably. That's on that cheery note. Do you guys have any final thoughts on Millennium? I guess we did. We didn't get your uh, your pick, uh, Rob, for which which devil you find the most uh, interesting or which story you like the best. Um, well, I, mine is actually um, the one that I remembered the most. The one that stuck out um, is the first one, and it's basically where the 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 lead devil. Um, uh, pushes a, a guy who is sort of teetering on uh, becoming a serial killer or not over the edge. Um, and he's like, listen, you're a white male in your 20s, had a problem with drugs and alcohol, came from an abusive home. you know. And on top of that, you drive a van with a roll of duct tape in the, <laughs> in the glove <laughs> compartment. And, uh, you know, he just says, you know, uh, it's like, why not play the hand you've been dealt? And that stuck with me the most. That... That being said, though, I have to say it's the the end story where the um, demon has the romance with the aging stripper that was the most uh, poignant and well directed. Um, uh, but again, it's it's one of those things like the first story stuck with me, but on watching watching it a second time, um, I was just really struck with how powerful it is, the structure of it, uh, the economy of it, and uh, it just makes me want to seek out uh, more work by Darren Morgan. Absolutely. Simon, any final thoughts? I wish the show had been more popular so that we could have gotten Lance Hendrickson hosting it Saturday Night Live. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, man, the potential. Yeah. Best straight man ever. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think the show's a lot of fun. I got to see about, like, ten episodes, I would say, over the course of the, the three seasons. I think it's a... I don't think it ever quite breaks through in a way that it has the potential to. I would have loved to see a third season where they just embrace the crazy ending of this of the second season uh, and, and gave us a post-apocalyptic world. As instead, they I feel like maybe they were looking for higher ratings or something to sort of reset the characters move to a different town and it becomes very, very much a procedural of the week once again um, until the very end of the, of the season. But... Um, I think I think there's a lot to really like about about Millennium and uh, and and just this kind of a show like I said earlier that just doesn't get made anymore. It's something that uh, that I, Simon, either you or David said when we were talking about Cheers. Everybody in this cast uh, is the main characters are all too old to be uh, on TV as the leads anymore, and uh, I very much appreciate that. So uh, I think you should. I think if you're listening, you haven't checked out Millennium. Check it out. Uh, it's it's definitely worth your time. Definitely, uh, so, uh, Kate Simon. Thank you again for having me on and and uh, uh, indulging my interest in these these uh, little known shows. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Where can our listeners find you online? Uh, I'm at robertkaelder.com. Uh, also, Robert at robertkaelder on Twitter. Um, and I have a new book coming out in June um, called uh, The Best Film You've Never Seen. I talked to 35 directors about uh, a favorite movie that they love that is either critically savaged or lost in some way. Oh, looking forward to it. That should be a lot of fun. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you. And thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Televerse. Yeah.